We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up and welcome in everybody to your uh, Monday, January 15th OBR Film Breakdown. So we start dipping our toe into off-season content, which is never something we're excited about. We, you know, it comes a little bit of a double-edged sword here where we we always do like talking about on this show, free agency, the draft, you know, the future of the Browns team and that those hypothetical conversations are a lot of fun. Something we have a lot of fun with at the OBR too. So it's it's good, but as we talked about, as I welcome in Andrew to join me today, as usual, um, you know, I, I really wasn't looking forward to this, Andrew. I, I, I really wanted to see them win a game and just run this out for another week or two and just see where it went. And it, it's just you kind of remind yourself when you get to the offseason how long the offseason is and how much. I don't want to say nonsense, but just you, you have to talk about something on these whether it's our site, it's our group of guys or people on social media, you have to talk about something and like 95% of it is nonsense, waste of time things with like the, the, the take that is the craziest getting the most attention. Right. And, and that's, that's where we're headed. And in, in, uh, among the disappointments of the Browns not winning, that's one of the ones that I am not all too keen on is that now we go through the long period of the off season that I, I I'm not a fan of that period yeah. of time, yeah. man. One of the great things about the run the Browns have been on is that we have not we have been able to really push off any of the negative hot takey type conversations for a few weeks. Because people wanted to start asking quarterback questions way back after the Jaguars game, after the Bears game, it's like what are they going to do? And it it was been it was very easy for me to just ignore that conversation. I think I told you, I talked to my dad would bring it up and I'm like, dad, we've done that conversation, a version of that conversation so many times. Let's just enjoy this while it lasts. And obviously that Jets game on the 28th was one of the better moments in Brown's comeback history since they've been a team again since 1999, a true, we have arrived type moment for a team that you, you thought all season might struggle to reach that level, right? To, to reach the playoffs, but they did it. They did it in style. 
beating up a really good defense at home in front of a, a one of the best, I think the, the best crowd that's been there since the stadium was built. And then you have 10 days off. They don't play anybody against the Bengals. You wait a week. And they were, I guess, I, the nicest way to say it, Jake, is they were in it for a half. That's probably the nicest way to say it. And they had yeah. the ball down 10, driving, after getting a stop at the beginning of the third quarter. And you're like, okay, they put this in here. It's a three-point game. Maybe the rookie quarterback does start to look a little bit mortal for once. Mm-hmm. And it, you, we know what happened from there. It was not long enough, right? And the the honeymoon period from that Jets game on the 28th to now, it, it's not enough time. And so for it to be over and now to be watching playoff football with other teams and feel like the Browns, I jokingly said to you in the pre-game, pre-show, Browns were in the playoffs for like two hours, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It, it was, you know, it started and it ended before the game even ended. And I, I, you know, I can't remember the last time I've watched a Browns game where I was ready to turn it off before the third quarter ended. Yeah. But, I mean, the last, the last time would have been the Ravens game right well right week, week four, right that week yes five? exactly yeah, yeah we're week four and and even then you there's extenuating circumstances to the to the extent that you're like well they've got the bye week we'll see they'll get right blah 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 you yeah. know this was and you couldn't look away i had i had people visiting at a you know room full of people we're all going to keep watching just in case the unthinkable happens but yeah i think to your point it just feels a little bit i i don't want I don't want to this morning. This is this is a classic. <laughs> I still don't want to. We're all kind of like getting an emotional release. Yeah, here. this I mean, is like the first imagine. day of school back in the at the yeah. end of the summer where you're like, man, it was well just said. it was just June, and now you're looking at like you said, six months of the you know us us having to have conversations in some part. We'll, we will try and do this as upright as we can, right? We will try and yeah. be as thorough. We'll get there. <laughs> thorough and but also genuine we're not here to just shop the worst takes like you said those but those people are out there and they are going to in some part shape the conversations that we have over the next six months and i hate it Yeah, it's like veterans who say they don't really come back for practice they come back for games right exactly we're at the point where we don't want to do the stuff in the offseason the same (laughs) way veterans don't we want to endomic and sue this thing and show up in week 16 (laughs) and just play the games right uh the games that matter right we're we're, i mean honestly like joe flacco skip camp and yeah show up off of our couch and enjoy the good stuff so yes you know the point of what we're doing today is to enjoy the good stuff while also keeping an eye on the serious stuff that is looming right so kind of the phrase of this podcast or the or the uh, angle we're taking is the good and the bad because there is a lot of good to remember here but they also put a performance on tape here that is sort of pushing us in the direction of the discussion around things that are bad right so uh, we're going to try to hit on both of those. If you've been watching wildcard weekend, it has been anything but wild. Honestly, a couple of these games, unfortunately your Cleveland Browns game, but more so that green Bay game that we watched today, Andrew felt very reminiscent to a game uh, that we all consumed back in 2020, where you have a young quarterback in Baker Mayfield making his first start is aided by a bunch of crazy early plays in the game. The Browns get out to an early lead and he ends up putting together a great stat line. And I think Jordan love did more than that. Uh, he was really, really stellar. Again, don't really know how how uh, Green Bay fans were able to deal with that like nine-week rebuild that they had to go through before they found another franchise quarterback. But um, it was the same type of game. And, the, and again, the Browns on the road, it's a little bit different, right? But it was the same type of game where 
one team's turning the football over and it's an onslaught and an avalanche out of nowhere. And those games just felt really similar to the one we saw in 2020 with the Browns. And now maybe perhaps as we record this, we're going to get one decent wild card game. I'm ignore. I'm not even talking about chiefs dolphins. The NFL puts that thing on Peacock. I didn't watch him. Did you watch a minute? Cause I didn't watch a single minute of that ball game. Uh, yeah, I have uh, my sources and methods and was able to tune in for a little bit of it, but it was on mute. I'll say that because the broadcast team was, uh, was poor. Uh, yeah. Jason Garrett got a lot of airtime and, um, the quality of the football was pretty rough too. It's tough uh, when we talked about this a little bit leading into the playoffs. The Dolphins are definitely in the same bucket with the Browns of teams that had entire position groups basically eliminated via injury. And it changes the way your team looks in the postseason because teams know where you can get got. The Browns got got by their tackle problem and the Dolphins got undone by their pass rush problem. And I, I think McDaniel... My two-word summary of that would be – well, not two-word, but my quick summary of that would be McDaniel got undone by the weather forecast. Yeah, anytime it, it, the water bottles are freezing when you remove them from the actual refrigerator. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah uh, it, it, that weather hits a little harder too because he's usually wearing those cuffed sweatpants and the no socks and, it, you know. It's, he likes the ankle cleavage. Yeah, it's, it. it's tough when you got those ankles out in 30-degree uh, below weather. So yeah. I feel for him. Well, and also we have to highlight your your Cowboys take, which was spot on. I I called the Cowboys' demise in a more um, blunt fashion, I guess Mm -hmm. probably the way to say it. I said that they would go like 8-9, 9-8, and and they'd fire him and he wouldn't make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. You you nailed it. We're going to play the audio for you uh, from Andrews. uh, This is back when we did the ultimate preview show, like early September before the Browns-Bengals week kicked off. And boy, I'll tell you what. We got uh, Andrew put it, should have put some money on this one. Here you go. Uh, I will take the Cowboys. Um, Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. The, I'm gratified by that response. Uh, <laughs> I, I uh, This is a classic case of regular season champs, right? They are going to play great mm. in the regular season and then get uh, probably m- marched out of the playoffs in the first round. I would, I would say that that feels like a Mike McCarthy one, two, if yeah. I've ever heard one. So, um, yeah, I, I just think. I think there's a reason to expect the Eagles to take a step back, changing offensive and defensive coordinators. Uh, I, I mean, I like so much about the Eagles, and and obviously they have a ton of talent on the roster. The losing the Super Bowl hangover is a little real, you know. And then you add that with the two coordinators changing, and I think there's enough reason to say that the Cowboys, who are also a very good team and do have some very talented players, could give them a run for their money in the division this year. And then you know, I, I think from there on, it's it like I said, the playoffs, totally different beast, but. So first of all, I just want to, I just want to ask you how you feel about like, what's your response? The critics want to know, you know, (laughs) when you get it, when you get one so right, you did it again when we did the preview of these games the other day, you have to feel great. Yeah. I mean, you said I should have put some money on it. I did put some money on it. I had the, I had the Packers pretty strong today for me. I'm not a, I'm not a heavy hitter, but I, I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is occasionally. And this was one where I, I did and, and I'm talking about it afterwards. So, you know, I must've won, right? Yeah, I think I had mentioned on this pod, too, that my uh, brother-in-law had a really nice uh, cleanup on that Thursday night football game and put 2000 on the Browns to win the Super Bowl, which would have yielded 95 k um, But yeah. that's $2,000 that just goes over to some sports book. Yeah, that's why they're, they've got the big casinos, et cetera. That's what, they, that's what they do. There's a decent business model I think they're following. Yeah. Um, I would say, too, I would like to thank uh, the Dallas Cowboys for taking all of America's attention away from the Browns. For sure. Too. For sure. Well, and I think it's going to be 
a full off season of that because I I really believe the the Bill Belichick to the Cowboys stuff. I think that has legs, and I think if I'm just going to keep calling shots now, Jake, I, I'm incorrigible Tell at you. this point. But uh, I I think that makes a lot of sense. It fits what you know. Bill one of wants. the Jones? Do you know one of the Joneses? Are you yeah, in Steve, with them? Steve, well, yeah, Stephen and I are in the same uh, uh, church group. So right yeah, we, yep. we do a lot of we well once a year we'll go fishing. Well, yeah, he's. Uh, Andrew's calling a shot. Bill Belichick to Cowboys. That would be a fun pairing, right? I think. Be- I think. I think it makes a ton of sense, and I think it would. It would give Bill what he wants, which is that all-time wins record over Don Shula. It would give Jerry what he wants, which is, you know, he can he can finally get more naps in and and really not have to focus on the team at all because Bill's obviously going to be making every single decision under the sun, and uh, mm-hmm. and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but I think the arrangement will work well for both parties because I think they're both going to get what they ultimately want. Did you happen to see uh, as Stafford delivers a dart? I don't know. How, how is Laporta playing? It doesn't even make sense. Um, we're going to occasionally talk about this game. We're watching Rams-Lions simultaneously, uh, in case you guys didn't know. Um, the uh, Your favorite sport, your favorite Twitter accounts, uh, sports but make it art, or art but make it sports, is yeah. it one way or the other? Yeah. And they, they put a uh, – did you see this? I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. this or not. Mm-hmm. A giant mound of butter. Yeah, one of his and best. Then, and then, the, and then a picture of Mike McCarthy. From One of the, his like, best pieces of work. Torso yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. that is uh, A+. Incredible. Incredible indeed. Um, all right. Well, listen, let's do this uh, talk about the game and the future of the Browns, right? Let's just get in. Let's rip the bandit off. Here we go. So we want to hit on the good first because anytime someone asks for good news or, and they have bad news as well, I try to go to the good news first. I don't know. You guys might do it differently. Maybe you like to do the bad news before you get to the good news, but whatever. We're going to start with the good. And I think there's a lot of good, and we're trying to remember the good here. And I know, Andrew, you said the other day after the game that you didn't care about the year. You said that this game left such a bad taste in your mouth. Um, essentially, you, you tell me how you said it, because, I mean, again, I, I think there's some reactionary stuff that you kind of hold on to or you take a step back from it and you're like, OK, maybe I didn't mean it quite like that. I still took joy out of some things, but it, stick with it if that's the case. Go ahead. No, it's not that it's not that it takes away from the year, because I, actually, you know, I have lived in a different state than my father for, for most of my adult life. And, and we were able to watch every Browns game together this year for the most That's part. Cool. And yeah. it was a, one of the, one of the happier seasons watching the Browns, the, the, I will forever remember beating the Ravens and the Steelers on field goals. The last, the, those two weeks back to back and the celebrations that we had doing that. It was spectacular. It was absolutely spectacular. So it's not that the, the loss yesterday erases that my, my point was just that it doesn't, fix it. I am not satisfied with what the Browns did this season from the standpoint that it's never okay to lose a playoff game the way that they lost it, right? That that's my point. It's not that if they had lost by a field goal, I think then you can really very quickly transition pivot right into great season, lots of injuries, who knew Joe Flacco could do do that? You 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 go right into that thing. It's as a sort of coping mechanism. To mm-hmm. me, when you get your doors blown off like that, it's a it's a different conversation. It really is because there's, and I think we're going to get there eventually. Some of the stuff that we saw yesterday was fluky, I suppose. Some some of it, a lot of it, was stuff that has been brewing in one manner or another throughout the season, mm-hmm. and it all caught them at the same time. Some of it is probably unavoidable on the injury side. Some of it, some of the defensive stuff, I think, was avoidable. Uh, some of the running game stuff. It feels like it's in that same bucket. And so all I try, I'm trying to say by that is in in that moment, you can't, to me, the way that I 
root for the team, I cannot go and access the fond memories to make up for getting it put on you by a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback in a game that you were favored by three points. Like I, it's just not, the two things don't add up in that moment. Now with perspective, yeah, you can, you can see the season for what it was, but again, when it's a, when it's 45 to 14, there's you, you, I, to me, you cannot go to what the, what a fun ride (laughs) because yeah, it's such a jarring defeat. I'm totally, I'm totally understanding of, of where you're at now. I, I, tend to be glass half full of some of these things. So although it finishes 45, 14, I, I pretty much see it for what it was, which was a close game into the third quarter. And I think that the first interception Flacco says he was throwing that away. I think Joe's got enough arm that if somebody's <laughs> grabbing his waist, he can get that thing out of bounds. Well, I he also he got, said he, that he knew where Elijah was on that. He had, to, he so was he throwing was... it. I feel pretty confident. I don't want to call Joe a liar, but he has enough arm to get that ball out of bounds, man. And like, agreed. agreed. I, I just think he got, he got nervous. He didn't throw it to David in front of his face and he thought he could throw an effort ball and it gets knocked down. His player fights for it. It gets knocked down. And, and um, it was a bad mistake. Yeah, the, the next time out was another just blatant misread, not a mistake, not a poor choice, just a misread. Didn't see him. Uh, I know that, uh, Dan Orlovsky did a good job pointing out what I thought before the game was going to happen, Andrew, which is the second level of the Texans defense slow playing everything because the Browns like to attack the zero to five in the passing game. Yeah, you called like, that on the pregame show yesterday. Yeah, they like to they also like to play action and not run action, but play action. Understand, so you didn't see them punch out as quick. So, you know, I, I I'm torn a little bit here because, as you know, as the Flacco experience started and they won a couple games, I said, this is fun, but ultimately it's not going to these these crazy places, right? I I, I said, there's no way this is going to lead to something magical like a championship or a Super Bowl. It's fun. We're having fun with it, but this is not going to these places. Now, Joe played and did some magical stuff that led me to eventually say, I'm done putting a cap on this thing. But in the back of my mind, I always thought like, this is eventually the, the, the stuff here, the formula, uh, which was not as clean as it was early in the year, uh, eventually started to wear on you because they were turning it over too much and they caught caught in a buzzsaw of being schemed up really well, which we'll talk about here in a bit. So to me, this outcome didn't, it just didn't change my feel for the season. Like I know that that we've gone through why it was disappointing this this singular performance and getting your doors blown off and embarrassed in national spotlight stuff, which is the biggest part that sucks. But I kept, I just kept thinking to myself, Andrew, they really shouldn't be here. They shouldn't yeah. be here. And I think that's um, fair. And I, and I think that that's just my perspective on it. I no, think your I, perspective is totally fair too. I just, I found myself as I was sitting in the living room alone because my wife had taken the, she could kind of feel where the game was going and she'd taken the smart. kids out. Cause, She's cause a smart I, lady. I don't yell at the, I'm not an emotional game right, watcher, right? But that was, but I was just slumped. I was mm-hmm. in my seat mm-hmm. after the first interception. I'm like, and she's always very much, and I'll give her a ton of credit, very positivity oriented when I can get a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, not, not pragmatic, but, but just, uh, and again, I, I don't even know if it's that I'm just a little in between all the time of like, Hey, as I, I used to coach, so I'm always thinking about the things that could go here, there, or the other. And like, 
so she and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I, I have a hard time seeing them climb to 31 points. Not impossible. Right. But a hard time seeing. And then he throws the next one. And I'm just like, yeah, that's yeah. all right, man. This is really over. And then you start yeah. to reflect on it. And it's like, I didn't feel myself getting angry the way I did uh, at other times in recent years where I thought they were better and underperforming. And I just was like, I'm going to find the, 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 the shreds of happiness around how this came together and the story that they put out there. And I'm not, and I'm not even, and I hope that people aren't taking it this way. I know you're not, but I hope people aren't taking it this way that I'm coming at your stance. I think demanding, expecting more out of them is where we need to get to. And I think that's where they would want the fan base to get to, to be honest. Uh, it's just this year with the circumstances and everything around it, I found myself just being happy to to have been there, which is the biggest bummer, Andrew, because every piece of quotation or vibe from the team we got this week was that was not the way they were going to be wired. Yeah. And yet there I kind of was sitting doing that. And the players, you have to say the things after the game like that, right? You got to thank the fans for support and stuff like that. But I, I, I'm not in there. I'm not around the team. None of us are here, right? We don't know if there was that whole vibe of just happy to be there. Only the team leaders and the people – closely involved in this no but i hope that they really were expecting more and um maybe that's a part of the problem andrew they got blindsided because they thought they could just go repeat what they did the the first time to houston and it caught them yeah, off guard. I, I think that's i think that's very valid it, it felt the game that it felt the most similar to to me was the colts game mm-hmm. uh in terms of the, and the way the funny that, part is they replicated a lot of what they, Ike and did. Right, right and so and and so the last thing i'll just say about how to feel about the game or how I felt about the game. I understand exactly what you're saying about it being a, a, a relatively close game at halftime. There was also that missed deep pass that uh, spot on Stroud had that it felt to me going into half. It felt like it, it could be a three score game because of the, the defense just did not stop the Texans period. And so they did get a stop coming out of half that we've seen them this year kind of change throughout a game to the point where they can pitch a shutout for a long period of time. So I wasn't going to put it past them, but mm-hmm. I also think if that, if the interceptions hadn't come the way that they did, I, I question whether or not the defense would have been able to hold them at 24 or yeah. like you said, at 30. So it, it part of, part of why it felt like getting your doors blown off, even though it was close through the mid third quarter until the interceptions, is because it felt like the defense really never was competitive in the way that we expected them to be. And, and it's ironic it's ironic watching Dallas today do the same stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Because you start to overextend yourself because schematically you have no answer, you have no feel for what they're going to do and you start to overextend and make dumb plays. Think about the tight end leak Think about Ron, uh, that the, the Musgrave yes. is wide open up the right mm-hmm. sideline. Think about the Browns just completely because they couldn't stop perimeter run game early, cheating to the side of perimeter run game, everybody hauling, and they throw a backside tunnel screen untouched, essentially. It's, it's the same stuff where you have these defenses largely built the same way, Dallas and Cleveland, hyper-aggressive defenses who then start to be like, Oh, we have no answer. Yes. So we have to get yes. even more aggressive right. in our approach to get some plays to flip. And then you just start screwing the stuff up. You start screwing it all up. And that's yeah, that's it, that's what happened. It feels like a little bit like a like a bear or whatever in a trap where it, it, it the worse uh, yes. more, more you struggle, the worse it gets, that sort of thing. So yep. I think we can leave that there. And you kind of started to say, Jake, that 
a big part of this is the unexpected nature, right? You lose Watson after that Ravens game, go out and beat the Steelers the next week. That feels like found money. And then it just kind of keeps rolling. And I do think in the big picture, the team deserves a ton of credit. And I think the, the big, the big takeaway from this season, the real good thing that I think they landed on. And I think the coach deserves credit for this. I think the players deserve a ton of credit for this. They have finally developed, I believe, organic genuine chemistry amongst the players through with a lot of the players that are here longer term the franchise guys that they want to be around each other they want to play together they want to win together that I don't think we've seen that in Cleveland we're talking now about four years with this head coach and this GM that's a long time in new Cleveland Browns history I think that's why you're starting to see a lot of these guys stick around and credit to this front office for keeping some of the guys that were here even before they came in. I'm thinking about David Njoku, right? Yep. A guy that they could have almost did give up on, but is now one of the leaders of the team. I think those stories, I, my suspicion, my hunch is that next year when they're back for training camp in July and August, those are the, going to be the loudest voices talking about what they did last year and what they want to do this year and how they build on it. Yeah, it was, it was a season similar to what we've seen other teams in the AFC North do. And we've, we, we have seen the Browns fold in so many of those that you really can't talk about the way the season went without it going, you know, without going into something about how unexpected it was and in the best kind of unexpected where, I think we've gone through this quite a few times now, so we don't need to go down this alley again, but just how this can build towards something better, more meaningful. If you get the luck version of health that can come in many other seasons. Right. So like, I think, I think you just really want to hit on the multiple times it was unexpected again, because of different issues for Watts and different issues for the offensive tackles, right. Losing various defensive players. There was a time there in that late, a quarter like late sort of third quarter of the season where it was like oh another okay I, an, another guy on IR oh yeah 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 okay another guy I mean we're going like four straight days there for a while and then the, on top of that Andrew the, the the flukiness of all the practice injuries and pregame injuries on top of all of that you know what I mean so it's like yes. just really we want to put a very firm stamp on the wholly unexpected and thank you to them for that because it it, it really could have been a miserable year yeah, and I think one of the great measuring sticks of the progress they've made in that department this year is listening to Joel Batonio speak today because he talked directly about this exact issue, how excited he is to see the sort of camaraderie that the team has developed that if you're in another city, for example, in the offseason, you know one of your teammates is there. You guys can you can get together. You can go out and have a meal, that sort of thing. Yeah, Talking about that he hopes going forward, making the playoffs is the expectation. That's the bare minimum. And then you go from there. And you, you mentioned the AFC North. This is the, that's the standard in Pittsburgh. That's the standard in Baltimore. The, the question isn't, are you going to be able to have a winning record? Are you going to be able to find a way to win six or seven games? The question is, are you going to compete for a trophy every year? Get into the dance and see what happens. And that They've earned, the yes. they, they've earned a exactly. yes. They've earned a yes for us right, right now. Right? Precisely. And yeah. I think Batonio had a back injury, a knee injury, and then he sprained his ankle yesterday. And he's talking Gutty. excitedly about yeah. playing next year. A player that is is really feeling the, the effects of a decade at offensive at guard in the league, right? Yeah. 
he wouldn't be talking that way if he wasn't excited to get this team back healthy and see what they can do next year. So he's feeling the same way that a lot of fans are feeling. And I think that's so important that that, that belief is is in the locker room now. Yeah, I've always heard the phrase, man, it's easy to be a good part of a locker room that wins because the vibes are always good. Winning cures everything. Everyone's happy for the most part. It's tough to be in losing locker rooms. And Joel has been in a lot of those locker rooms throughout his career. And if he was ira- if he was around this in any way, shape, or form and he felt those vibes at all, he would, you know, be putting off some soft retirement vibes is kind of the thing here. And it's it's been it's been the complete opposite. So, you know, the unexpected digs into the locker room, which digs into leadership development. And I think all of those things were on display this year. A couple other things on the good before we take a break. Uh, the scheme evolution I thought that happened, Andrew, was something you and I questioned early into the middle of the year. And then I personally thought Kevin put together the best version of his offense as we know it. Still some things that I will dive into this offseason that I would like to see. But his willingness to say, I'm going to throw it on early downs. I'm going to run play action, even though the run game isn't working. I'm going to run play action from shotgun, even though we have a quarterback who is not necessarily adept at that. I think that the the risks he took outside of his comfort zone are the best version of this offense. And I really thought he did a great job of scheming people open, scheming protection help all the time and giving his quarterback clear lines of sight to deliver the football. And to me personally, whoever the quarterback is going to be here in Cleveland, which Stefanski has said Deshaun Watson is his starter, I feel like it is a good scheme for Deshaun Watson if they if they copy-paste it. I think it can really work for him with a couple wrinkles. And I am more on the side at the end of the year here because of things that we've talked about in um, a, a positive state about this this offense working better with Deshaun if he's healthy, right? And he can start taking care of his body a little bit. I'm, yeah. I'm optimistic about that. Yeah, and I think that's that's music to our ears. I, one of the things that I wonder and am curious about is how much of what Stefanski got to was one out of necessity based on the injury situation and the inability to run the football. And two based in what he wanted to do to get the most out of Flacco and if he feels that that's the right fit for Watson as well. Adding on to that, I there's part of me that wonders, was the plan to evolve the offense in this way throughout the season with Watson? Yeah, and maybe. they maybe. weren't able to get to it because Watson left for the season. I Or the tackle stuff forced him to think outside the box. That I think that's the more likely scenario. Yeah. And yeah. and so then the question becomes, Jake, does he, as you said, does he stick with it? Does he land on, has, has his, have his eyes been opened by the experience of the past six weeks, seven weeks, where he's now maybe confident enough in his ability as a designer of the pass game to allow himself to call the game as aggressively as we have wanted him to. They were throwing the ball 65% of the time down the stretch. Yeah. That's yeah. for for Kevin. That's <laughs> that is full tilt, man. That is as yeah. hard the other direction as you can go in in terms of calling offense. And I wonder how that trickles into him getting a healthier version of of Nick or a, a different dynamic back. He's, right, that's right? the like question. He's going to go back to like 
well, we prefer to be a bit more balanced. Whereas when he was really scheming throws and giving his guys chances to beat underneath coverage, I thought it was pretty good stuff. So I hope that keeps evolving in the right direction. If you want to know whether it does or not, this is the podcast to come find it. Defensively, I think the thing as we are talking after one of their worst, I think it's their worst performance of the year, which which sucks, is there's a couple things, Andrew. There's what what on earth is going on in home and away? Like I understand the 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 basics of it, the snap count stuff, the uh, you know ability of teams to sort of dial up some different stuff in terms of like their ability to do pre-snap audibling things of that nature. But there is no excusing the splits, which were gigantic home and road. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit more, but the, the, the baseline, what I think is, is true. And there's again, bigger conversations built off this. And we're going to do a little bit of, when we talk about the bad, the baseline of the defense is, is fine. Like that defense, you know, we can be upset about that performance, but the defense was really good for gigantic portions of this season. I think they have a very good baseline of, of a defense, but no, I'm not even going to do the butt yet because we'll do the butt later. I just think that that's what I wanted to tell everybody. The structure, the core of it, how they how they teach their front guys to play, how they teach their linebackers to play. I think most of those guys responded really well. And it was clear to me that the defensive backs really liked playing more man coverage this year, and they were good at it. So that to me is a gigantic step for the first year of a defensive coordinator in the right direction, expecting them to be, um, you know, tracking historic numbers on third and, uh, you know, third down scenarios and points per drive, probably not going to do that again, but they can still be a very good version of this defense. And that to me is something you guys should be really excited about. Right? Yes. I think the, the yeah, big picture, the talent on the defense is good. And that was a big question for us, Jake, going into last offseason, right? The, the scheme made the defense look lackluster across the board. It was hard to identify their strengths because of the scheme. And so we said last offseason, you have to change the coordinator and you have to add talent. They did that. I think the the talent that they added certainly to the defensive line helps. But you also saw a lot of players who were here last year playing a lot better football this year. And so I think my takeaway is that the scheme fits the defensive talent that they have much better than the previous one did. Yeah. But also the baseline level of talent on the defense is really good. And yeah. so we got clarity on that too, which exactly, was important. That's what I mean. The, the yeah. clarity is very valuable because now you're talking about from Delpit, a, JOK. Right. Right. Right, you know, you Emerson, out Emerson yeah. another year. Al, Al, even role players like Alex Wright, I think yeah. his development, you probably found something with one of the defensive tackles that was a free agent, Shelby Harris or Maurice Hurst, that you could bring them back, yep. depending on how the numbers work out. Despite a tough game from Ronnie Hickman, you did have plug-and-play guys, right? Anthony like, Bell. Yeah. yeah. There, there's yeah. a big list of names, and I think from a roster construction standpoint, it is a big check mark in Andrew Barry's evaluation, right? That he's able to find guys in unconventional ways cheaply to plug into a defense to make it run. So that that all feels really good to me. And I think yeah. even though you expect next year the defense will take a step back, defensive regression is fairly common 
especially when they're at this historic pace, like you said, with the third downs. Even with that, you still expect, I think, now a top 10 defense, certainly next year. And that, as a launching pad for what they're trying to do on offense, is a great place to be. Right on. A lot of good stuff there. Hopefully you feel good about it, that we laid that out for you. Um, But we do have some tough conversations coming up right after the break. So uh, stick around if you want to. Um, because these are going to be things that linger all off season and we wanted to get out in front of those a little bit. So we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. 
Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, we live by the shorts and we die by the shorts, right? If you're a Spaceballs fan, I always enjoy that one, but... um, as much as we laid out that was good, Andrew, we're also concerned, right? Because it's, I said it in a tweet today, I cannot fathom how they went into this game thinking that the status quo is was going to just work, especially having seen these guys as recently as they did. And yeah, CJ didn't see it, but CJ's good. And there's miles of evidence that he's good. And as long as Slowick knew how to dial it up for him, he was going to have options to throw the football. So I am concerned about a couple things with Jim Schwartz, and then I'll throw it to you. I am concerned about deception in his schemes. A lot of what I heard from people that knew Schwartz before his stay with um, the Titans, his front stuff was good, but his coverage stuff was bad. And I think that the Browns gave him a chance to run man coverage at a really high level here. But when they have to go zone, it's pretty abundantly clear that they're not the most comfortable doing it. And what I mean zone is I don't mean cover three, uh, which is a branch off their cover one. I'm talking about when they play cover two or cover six because they don't even flat out run quarters. They don't do it. So my thing here is what's, Jim Schwartz has a fastball. He's a fastball. He's a Raldis Chapman. He does not have a breaking ball that matters from what I saw against guys who get him figured out, Andrew. And that to me is concerning because if you know man is going to be there and you have the indicators, you can dial up stuff that puts man coverage in hell. We saw it with the Cowboys who run it as much as the Browns and have a pretty damn good secondary and defensive line. We saw it happen to the Browns. You cannot live in a man. This is not Madden, folks. You can't live in a man-to-man world. You have to play zone, and you have to be able to switch up the looks pre-snap to post. And I, again, I harken back to the pregame where I wanted them to do. They didn't blitz. They blitzed him five times. I wanted to see them change the pre-to-post-snap picture on him, and they did not do it. They did not do it. And I am so... Uh, I, I'm so disappointed in the in the in the in the foresight to figure out that you had to do that, and to think that your just your baseline stuff would be good enough is so concerning. I mean, Jim Schwartz has forgot more about football than I'll ever know. Okay, so we're not doing that. But what I am doing is questioning a decision that they made, a a coaching decision they made, and how they went about this game. And I get concerned with how some guys in the league quite clearly have him dialed up and these young coaches who are coming from these McVeigh and Shanahan trees are getting enough stuff on tape to figure out how to make some things hell for the Browns. And we saw teams start to hit on it, getting the football out faster than ever and doing unique stuff to make man coverage really tough. And I wonder about his breaking ball. I, I have a genuine question about when he arrived, could his his stuff in the secondary, which we thought he got great stuff with the Titans from, from, from split safety looks, 
and they didn't really want to do that very much this year. So that is my biggest primary concern. What his, what his, um, I, I, I guess it's the only real way to put it. Like what's his breaking ball to his fastball? Because the, there was not an, a solid answer on that this year, Andrew. Yeah, I think the the metaphor of the the pitcher that doesn't have a, a a complimentary pitch to the fastball is a really good one because I think we've all watched that pitcher who and they're they're hell to hit. Right. They're hell to hit. The fastball exactly. can be good enough on ninety percent of nights, mm-hmm. but when you run into some of those hitters, yeah. right? And then and then you try and start throwing the breaking pitch and you can't throw it for strikes. And now you're walking guys, and then you then now you lose confidence in the fastball. Is the other thing that happens. So now you're not locating that, and you hang one, yeah, right. And <laughs> now there's two two runners on base, and you're giving up dingers. And that was that was the first half for the Browns yesterday. So and spring training is like a month away. <laughs> We're doing your full baseball preview here. <laughs> so I I think it's it's spot on, Jake, and I, it really ties into when you think about Jim Schwartz's recent job history, because he wasn't the defensive coordinator in Tennessee. He was just an assistant. He essentially walked away from coaching after what happened in Philadelphia and then kind of got involved with the Titans, but in a very limited capacity in terms of his responsibility. And the, when we, the hire happened almost a year ago. Now the conversation we had, I remember it well was what did he learn from Tennessee? Because Mike Vrabel and Shane Bowen have a different defensive philosophy to him. And I think the hope was that he was going to borrow some of the stuff that they do and create an even better version, synthesize that with what he does well and create a better version of himself that would be able to go further and be a little bit less limited. And instead, we almost saw the most pure distillation of the Jim Schwartz scheme, right? You mentioned the home away stuff before. I wonder, Jake if their dominance at home, both for the players and the coaches, made them a little complacent about what they were able to do on the road because mm-hmm. they are they were a Jekyll and Hyde situation. And I, I talked about this with the folks I was watching the game with. I, it felt, one of the things that I regret about our podcast last week, it felt, if you look at it in retrospect, we, we went, they went on that two-game road trip, Denver and Los Angeles. The defense got hammered on in both games, right? Exposed. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't play on the road for a while. And then their next road game was in Houston. And they dominated. And we're like, okay, we're good. It's Case Keenum, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a limited Texans offense. They didn't play a starter on the road since they got absolutely hammered by Matthew Stafford and, and McVay. So... In retrospect, I, I wish that – it's hard to be a pessimist when your team's in the playoffs, but I do think the, the strongest case for what happened yesterday, being able to predict that, was they didn't really ever fix the problems on the road. They just didn't have to worry about them because their last two road games were Case Keenum and then Jake Browning in a game that neither team needed to win. And they really – and again, this is not to take away from a great season. They had a great season, but you do have to point out that they beat up on bad quarterbacks. These guys like Burrow, limited mobility in the rain, like the um, types of Clayton Toon types, like they dominated those guys. And that's great. You're supposed to. But when they faced some of the better quarterbacks and schemers, 
right? They they left a lot to be desired. That's something that if they want to truly be one of the best defenses in the league, they're going to have to answer that in the coming seasons. And if they don't expand who they are philosophically and create some 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 change ups, breaking balls to what they to what they have with their fastball. I, I question whether they can win these big games that matter with 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 a defense that you think can be stifling or you're just playing, you know, because here's the thing, Andrew, like a lot of defenses, and this is what Joe Woods philosophically was, and really what D'Amico Ryan's was too, is we're going to make you work your way down the field. We don't want to give up the big play. So you're going to make a mistake on a 12-13 play drive. We're just banking on that. And the Browns issue is when they're off, they're off in chunks, like big plays. And that's what cripples you because that's how 14, 21 points get thrown on the board out of nowhere. And you're like, your wheels are spinning, right? right? So that right. that's what makes that defense a little challenging at times too, is when it is off and when you're dialed up and when a quarterback is feeling it and an OC has everything in his pocket to make your life hell, you're not giving up 14 play drives here. You're giving up three plays after the Browns made it 14, 10. And then it's all of a sudden exactly. 17, 14, right? Like right. that's the dangerous stuff of this whole, whole, uh, whole idea here. Yes. I think that's a really good way to say it, that the, that when they're on the teams can't move the ball when they're off teams can really easily move the ball. Whereas even last year with Joe Woods, the defense was never good, but it was also other than the coverage bust, which is a funny thing to say, which uh, were earlier in the year. Those right, were right. Those faded as the yeah. year went on, but yeah, you you'll get people's opinion, Andrew. And it was all this stuff last year. I don't mean to cut you off, but I just want to share this opinion. No, I think this is great. Like like where people say, "I'd rather not live in this world where it's death by a thousand paper cuts." Right? I'd rather than play man and get challenging. And I'm with that. And I think I prefer Agreed. what Schwartz does to what you know Woods and that group of guys do. But how do you balance some of that risk? Is the biggest thing he has to get better at at times. Is there a way to balance it? I, I just, that's my biggest question because I, you put yourself, your guys get put in spots that it's quite clear that if they're not seeing it, feeling it, playing through it, there are huge voids and, yeah. and huge portions, a lot of grass. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see offenses have a lot of grass out in front of them. And that's what's happened in these. They've given up in a lot of explosives this year. They've got a lot of negatives, a lot of explosives too. Yeah. And I think the way that I look at this is, I, as I said a minute ago, I don't see Jim Schwartz changing his stripes. This is who he is as a defensive coordinator. If he wasn't going to do it after the career journey that he just went on, going to Tennessee, basically kind of being off of the defensive coordinator cycle, I don't I don't think there's another opportunity for him to do it. But I will say this, Jake. We often hear when a defensive-minded head coach has an offensive coordinator under them, they will kind of nudge them and say, it would be helpful if you could run the ball a little bit here, that sort of thing. Kevin Stefanski is the head coach. He's likely going to get an extension in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. He can absolutely go to Jim Schwartz tomorrow and say, hey, Jim, <laughs> here's what I see. And I think Kevin is in a very good position to know because he just had Joe Woods in the building. Yeah. Right? And and he, he also worked with Mike Zimmer for a long time and, and played safety in college. Kevin knows defensive ball. So it's not like he's afraid to walk into that room. So 
as much as I firmly believe that Kevin Stefanski deserves a ton of credit for the defensive turnaround this year because of hiring Jim Schwartz and allowing him to be as aggressive and balls to the wall as he was, I also believe that if the defense continues to struggle in this specific way, and, and like you said, struggles in big game situations or with certain play callers that can get after man coverage, that's on Kevin too. When he sits down with, with Schwartz to do his performance review, those are the two questions we're asking. How do we limit explosives? We gave up too many of them this year. Have to cut cut these things down. And then how do we change up coverage? Both uh, middle of the field, open and close stuff, right? You're, you're, you're too high, you're one high. How can we change the picture more often? Those are the things that I would be asking how you can get accomplished and figure out a way to get it accomplished because you have enough talent on that side to do that, right? We're going to talk about how, um, you know, this offseason is going to pattern itself in one side of the ball. We've just seen this, seen this quite a bit with Andrew Barry. He's gone offense, defense, offense, defense here. Now it seems like the defense is in a really good spot, Andrew, for this upcoming run at talent. I think the Browns are going to have at a baseline, I saw one of the over-the-cap guys tweeting about this today. Kind of something in the ballpark of 66 after Deshaun's million, uh, after Deshaun's restructure. Then you got to put in there like the rookie numbers. They don't have a first-round pick, so it probably puts them at... This is so loose, I don't want anyone correcting me, okay? Don't correct me. I don't know this stuff to be perfect. I don't even, I've even entered, it hasn't even entered my brain. I saw a tweet, so I just want to... going to say it out. anyway, folks. It's like 50 million. They're going to have a chance at using 50 million to improve the roster this year, whether bringing some of their guys back or going out and acquiring pieces. They could probably create more. Okay, I get it. But that's just a baseline thing to think about for like, they're not going to be sitting on their hands this offseason. They have a chance uh, to to do some things. And I, I lean offense, Andrew. Do you lean offense as well? Yeah, we we talked about this pre-show. Andrew Barry's first offseason as GM, it was offense. Uh, Austin Hooper, Jack Conklin. Then the next year, it was John Johnson, defense side of the ball. Then the next year, Amari Cooper and Deshaun Watson. And then this past offseason, Zadarius Smith, Owo Karankwo, the defensive tackles, etc. He has kind of flip-flopped between sides of the ball that he's directed more of the offensive uh, offseason resources towards. And he has tended to focus on one specific position room often where, where you'll see sort of a double investment, the Okoronko Zadarius thing, right? It's, it's like both. So I think it's offense this year. And I think the open question is pass catcher or offensive line. Because either way, you're balancing some tricky math, right? With Amari Cooper's contract on the wide receiver side, and then on the tack on the offensive line side, you've got you're committed to Conklin and Wills, and then Dewan Jones emerged, but you're also committed to two very pricey guards. But do you feel the need to rebalance that a little bit? Because this was the year we said in the last year's off season, all off season. They're paying the offensive line too much money for it not to be one of the best in the league. Yeah. I know injuries were a big part of why it wasn't one of the best in the league this year. But even with that being said, before when it was just Conklin and then DeWan had come in and was playing well, they still were not a top 10 unit in the league. 
Uh, and so I think that if they feel a need to maybe try and save some money there by moving some contracts around, that's, I think that's the one that I'm looking at, but then obviously pass catcher too. It still feels like, and I think we, if it felt this way yesterday in yesterday's game with Amari still obviously limited with the heel injury, that it was it, the, the whole season, it was Amari Cooper, David Njoku, and then a bunch of guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need somebody better than Elijah Moore. I'm just thought he could be a really, really, I think he can be a useful third body outside, but they need a more impactful second outside receiver, right. Or, or however they want to go about it. If they want to get a twitchier slot guy, um, you know, David Bell had some moments to end the year, some right direction stuff, but they can't sit on their hands here. Certainly can on offensive line. They have an opportunity to move off some people, I even think Posich's contract has uh, some ways to get out of it early, yep. even though it was a three-year deal yep. and he just signed it. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to be curious how they cut some corners because there's one thing they have is some center depth. And then like, you know, an offensive tackle, you bring back guys from injury, but that doesn't mean you, you kind of rest. It could, I could see them getting very aggressive on the offensive line in the draft too, you know? So I, I don't know. I, I think that where we're sitting here though is, this leans offense this offseason. What, what they so. do is to be determined. Um, but I, I definitely think it points to, to offense more than anything else. Part, part of it, Jake, is that it, obviously we went into this season thinking that it was going to be a little bit of a referendum on Watson. But I think you can say definitively that 24 is because whether it's through injury or ineffectiveness, if he's not a major part of their success in 2024, they have to start finding a way out of that contract. Or put it down, uh, you know, maybe twenty five. They'll figure it out, right? You know, they'll. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I hear you, and it, he is going to be lingering because of the structure of the contract. Yeah, but it's going to get spicy. They're on their path to a seventy five million dollar cap hit for him. They're going to exactly. have to do it at some point. And, and so. I and I think they they the they need as clean of a picture for him as possible. We were talking about this last off season. They tried their best with the Elijah Moore deal, Cedric Tillman, etc don't think they really got to where they wanted to and then obviously injuries did a lot of the work for them unfortunately of making it hard to analyze anything there were certainly glimmers and I'm not trying to say that right now that's where their head's at their head is at they've got the most cash being spent of any team in the league they're probably as you said they're going to push more chips in this coming year they're going to be very invested in this team and I think they very much see this year as a building block to next year trying to win the division, trying to win multiple playoff games and go as deep as they can. That's their goal. But if the unthinkable happens and and the guy that you have just sunk the past two seasons into is not who you thought you were getting, at a certain point, you have to start building contingency plans. I think they'll do a little bit of that work this offseason, knowing Andrew Barry and how prepared he is. But they, they're going to want to see one more year with that guy. And then, as you said, it'll get really, really spicy really fast. Here's the spiciest question, though, as we close. Okay, there's of of the lingering Deshaun Watson stuff. We talked about the offense and the good side, the evolution of which, right? If you were to take what Joe Flacco was willing to do, push the ball vertically, throw the ball anticipatorily into windows, uh, rip it uh, in in times that you maybe didn't think that that was a, a possibility, right? He he did a lot of really good. He also had some massive mistakes in that run that you cannot ignore. You cannot paint the picture of what Flacco did without discussing that. 
even cutting them in half, like you said, pre-show would have created a, an, an incredible balance to what he did. Right. But unfortunately, almost as much good he gave away. It's kind of crazy to think of it that way, but that's the truth. The biggest question for how the Browns get to this exact spot, Andrew, or perhaps a serious contender to play two more games and get a crack at the big at the big one is whether Deshaun Watson can do the things Joe Flacco did on the good side while being somebody who eliminates the negatives of what Joe was doing. How feasible do you think that is? Because that is the lingering question. We saw what good quarterback play can look like with Kevin. We saw it. And I think Kevin is more open to doing these things for Deshaun than he was previously. Kevin, by virtue of stress or situation, evolved, right? I, again, want to echo that I think that Kevin is going to be, sorry, excuse me, Deshaun would have been really good with what Kevin was doing the last half of the year, and we saw evidence of that in Baltimore. It was right in front of our faces. But what, I, what I'm most curious about is can he do the things that Joe was doing well and also simultaneously be a guy who's not making the mistakes that Joe was making? Because if that's the case, Andrew, you have a very good offense with a very good defense. But the question is whether Watson can do the good. That's kind of crazy thing. I think Watson naturally is not going to do as many bad things as Flacco did. But I just am curious to see whether he's going to be as eager, aggressive. And um, I wouldn't say it's not it's not carefree with some of those throws Joe made. But there's certainly um, is, is the cliche of a gunslinger, right? Like he was just willing to make some of those throws that you're like, wow. Right. Like those that took a lot of bravado to throw that football and yeah. he did it. Yeah. Some of those led to mistakes too. So like, I guess I'm wondering, is there, is there an ability for Watson to do that? I think that is the single biggest looming question because we have been talking about this is their fourth quarterback, but there were moments from the fourth quarterback that were better than any quarterback that played this year. There were also moments from the fourth quarterback that were worse. Look at the results of some of those interceptions, Andrew. I think he had four pick sixes. And so I think another three of them ended up inside the Browns 20 yard line. Some of he which only throws the, touchdowns, Jake. It, it's amazing. It's actually amazing. So like, I think you get where I'm going with this question. So the, the, but again, I, I'm kind of putting it to it. You the way is this is the biggest thing here. We've talked about a lot, but this is the single biggest thing. Without a doubt, without a doubt, it was the same this coming into this year. And unfortunately for the second straight year, the answer is a big shrug of the shoulders, right? Because we saw some good, we saw some bad from the very expensive three first-round draft pick quarterback. And it, frankly, if you want to talk about good and bad, big picture from the, the this season, the worst is that they just still don't have a clear answer on where their quarterback is at. Considering what they gave up to get him to be at this point in the cycle and still not have a clear picture of who he is as a player, is as bad of a situation as you can imagine. It would be better to know for sure that he's not it. Obviously, it would be preferable to know that he is, but between the injury and the mental issues that I think were at the heart of a lot of his struggles early in this season, and certainly last year, in terms of speed of the game, 
you mentioned the word anticipation. That's not something we saw a lot of from Deshaun Watson. He was needing to see the wide receiver open before he threw the ball for the most part this this season. If that changes, how that changes going into next season is by far the biggest question. And I, I don't have a good feel for it. I think it's a true coin flip. I, I wish we had a better feel for it, but you're right. We we don't. I I remain optimistic that he can do it, but my level of optimism is not anywhere near the level I had when they traded for him. So that is uh that's what you get to chew on in the podcast. That is that is like a big old I, piece I, of beef jerky. I just think it's something that's happening, Andrew, where you kind of in your mind you cope with this by saying this was the fourth quarterback, but Joe wasn't playing like PJ Walker. He was making some miraculous throws that nobody else was making on the team this year at the volume by which he did. So he was playing a damn near flawless game before the two pick sixes. 100% right. Delivering throw after throw. That's why my gut was like sinking because this is ruining a great performance from him. And so, I mean, you get the wide, version of this whole thing with Joe, the great, great, great that, that that can be so special with Kevin and the bad that can cripple your team in games. So the question becomes, if you shrink the size of both of that, where maybe Deshaun's not doing the great, great, great best version of Kevin, but he's also not making the crippling, right? Then, then you wonder how well can that work? How well does it ultimately work? You know, what you would like to do is keep that scale tilted on the high side of the great, great, great stuff Joe did while moving the bad side up into that, uh, you know, safe spot. But that's not necessarily how it works. And I just kind of like want to reiterate that just getting Watson back doesn't mean you live in this explosive play world that they were living in at the end of the year. But you also might not live in the same world. You probably won't of the negative stuff that was happening, too. Yeah. And while we're. While we're chewing on all of this, it's also you have to also bring up the health question because this is a serious injury that he suffered to his throwing shoulder. And so I don't think we should I don't think it would be responsible to talk about taking for granted anything to do with with Watson until you're you're seeing him throw the ball in in competitive situations. Not mm-hmm. even in practice. We're not doing zip reports again mm-hmm. like this is a, this is a serious injury. It it when you start changing somebody's throwing motion, somebody that has been a quarterback their entire lives. I'm sure you can speak to this more intelligently than I can, Jake. There there are unknowns here, and so that plus his continued unwillingness to avoid taking very hard hits, which led to this injury in the first place. That's the thing. He he was he had the serious shoulder injury, and then still took he took multiple. Did he made the decision to take those hits. And if you're of the, of the, of the opinion of this is just who he is, you have to deal with it. You are wrong. Like you are wrong. That's not how this works. He is an asset to himself and the Cleveland Browns. And he has to change his freaking mind about how he plays the position. He cannot play reckless body control football. He can't do that. That's it guys. That's it. So if he doesn't change it, the Browns have to buy an expensive backup quarterback right. to make up for it and then you know suffocate other positions because they have to do that because he's unwilling to change how he plays the position to just simply protect his body 
that his body is telling him is breaking down. It's telling him, right, can't do this, man. Right. So, so one of the answers here, Jake, is that the throwing piece and his fit with the offense is great, but he can't stay healthy. So, I, I think, and this is not to be a total bummer, right? Because there's also there's plenty of outcomes that where the Browns have a very successful season next year. As I said before, they are as all in as any team in the NFL going into next season. We know that already, and they just lost in the playoffs yesterday, but we already know how, how far in they're going to be for 2024 because of the way their roster is constructed. It's so there's plenty of opportunities for them to have a very strong season next year, but because of the unknowns at quarterback, again, you open this show talking about what the next six, seven months is going to feel like from a fan perspective, from a commentary perspective, it is the third straight off season that the main talking point will be questions around the quarterback. Maybe the fourth. I mean, it's 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 been forever. It's a bummer. It, it really is. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to get some people who are on the overly positive side and some people are on the overly negative side, and it's going to irk you. It's going to irk you. We are going to try to do our best to balance what he's done well with what he's left questions on. I think we've already done that. We'll continue to try to do that for you guys as we continue to try to provide every part of the offseason um, coverage as, as you know, possible to do through a podcast. So, uh, buckle your seatbelt folks, buckle your seatbelt long off season, but also still an exciting off season. They can get better yeah, and they can push toward being a real team that matters into the second, you know, third and, and ultimately super bowl, uh, type of games. And I'm excited, Jake, because I think in addition to all of the off season chatter, the, the breaking news, I think we're going to do a great job of covering all this stuff and really digging in on, yeah the philosophical angles and and how the team approaches the off season, even before the news starts. I'm also just excited because I think you and I have had a lot of fun doing this show, getting other people involved. And I mean, you, you, you get a lot of people. So I'm excited for some of the shows that maybe are going to be a little bit outside of the same conversations about Watson again and again and again, where maybe we, you know, maybe we talk about movies a little bit or TV shows, music, Brown swap Brown stories. I think we'll find some other ways to engage and relate to folks because one of the best parts of doing the show, as I've said a million times is, is relating to and engaging with the folks out there listening. So I I hope that even though it's the off season and sometimes it can be a little bit of a drag to have the same conversations, I think we'll find a way to have some new conversations too. We'll spice it up. You know, we do here. We'll spice it up. Keep it fun. We'll do the mailbags. We'll get you guys involved. We'll make the best of it. Thanks for hanging out today. Hopefully this emotional vent session did something for you to move past the game we just watched, put some put, put a little piece behind it, and then start thinking about the good they did this year, the bad that um, popped up in unfortunate moments, and what they can do to rectify it moving forward. We'll have all of it covered for you and more here at the OBR Film Breakdown. I want to appreciate, uh, continue to appreciate, really, you guys for stopping by, making this show a part of your day. Andrew and I genuinely appreciate that. We'll be back with another show for you on Tuesday as well. As always, thanks for being here. Be well. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.